You're listening to a 95 BFM podcast. From our studio to yours, it's Various Artists with Francis and Liam. Welcome along to Various Artists for this week. My name is Francis. And my name is Liam, and we will be with you for the next hour. This is your guide to the big wide art world of Tamaki Makoto and beyond for this week. How are we going today, Francis? Not too bad. Not too yeah, bad. How are you? Good. We've got a very flash-looking DJ uh, setup going on in the studio right now, so I reckon yeah. you guys should tune into two to four later on. Um, but for now, it's the twelve to one, and it's various artists. What have we got coming up today? If I can a coming up on the show today, I speak with Paula Morris, editor of Hewa, a new anthology of contemporary Māori sto- uh, short stories out of Auckland University Press. I've had a yarn with Erica Stratton about National Poetry Day taking place on and around next. Next Friday, August the 25th. I also speak with Imogen Taylor about her show Murmurs, opening at Michael Lett this evening. And of course, to round off the show, we have your art guide for Tamaki Makoto this week. It is a big one. It's very big and there's a lot going on, mm. which we love to see. Here are Ofakaro. We'd love to hear your thoughts on these pieces. So, Tukupatuhi Mai, you can text us on 5395. Why am I Or give us a call in the studio on 3093879. We always love to hear from you. Also, after the show, koea e wariwari e ahi ana koutou te whakarongo koe ene kōrero ano he pakihere roki roki maronga i te pae tukutuku o Ererangi Poho. Me hare ki 95BFM erikatikom. You can catch all these chats and more by podcast on the 95BFM website, 95BFM.com. What's it all for? Various artists. Hiwa is a vibrant, essential collection of contemporary Māori short stories released via Auckland University Press last week. It features 27 writers working in English or Te Reo Māori. The writers range from famous and recognisable names like Patricia Grace and Witi Ihamara to emerging voices like Shelley Burnfield and Anthony Lapwood. A showcase of contemporary talent, Hewa includes biographical uh, introductions for each writer's work and explores the range of styles and subjects in the flourishing world of Māori fiction. To hear about the book, I caught up with editor Paula Morris. Here we are now. Awesome. Oh, it's a real treat to have you in the studio, Paula. Um, We're talking about Hewa, uh, a new anthology of Māori short stories, which was released last week. To start off with, could you explain what the book is? Yeah, sure. It's an anthology, as you say, of contemporary Māori short stories. So all the writers in it are alive. Some of them are quite old and famous, like Patricia Grayson, Wati Ihmaira, others are newer emerging writers of all ages. Mm. So there are 27 writers in the book and four of them are writing in Te Reo Māori, everyone else in English. And there's a huge range of styles, subject matters, locations. And in fact, some of the writers live overseas. They don't live in New Zealand. And um, hopefully it speaks to the wide range of experience that many Māori have today. Mm. Is this the first time that an anthology like this has been published? There have been a number of anthologies of different kinds over the years. Often anthologies mix genres, so you know they might have poetry and a non-fiction as well. Sometimes they have novel excerpts rather than just short stories. And 
a lot of them have a theme or a particular subject. So, for example, some very good recent anthologies like Purako, which is writers re reinventing Maori myth, obviously mythology was the theme for it, and we all had to work with Maori myths and update them. But for this one, I wanted writers to be able to write about whatever they wanted and to get a wide range of stories. And so, for example, Patricia Grace's story is about a young man going to Italy to play rugby. And so it's not necessarily what you would expect from Patricia Grace, but it's a really great and funny story. I didn't want to impose any sort of subject matter or limits on them mm. because it's also, I think, a little bit hackneyed to have books like that which kind of impose this notion of what it means to be something yes. on the writers. Yes. Whenever you say, oh, we've got an anthology and could you write about your experience as X mm. and because then set more limits. Because you were in this box. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and it's basically saying this is what Maori should write about. So. Yeah. Yeah. So there are obviously more than 27 Māori writers. Um, how did you choose whose work to compile in the anthology? Because part of the process was to do an open call so that I could get in writers I don't know because I think it's really important when you're editing something to understand what you don't know mm. and to not think, oh, I know everyone because, of course, I could just summon up people I know and create a, an anthology out of that and that's how a lot of anthologies are actually made in New Zealand mm. with people tapping the shoulders of the usual suspects. So we put out an open call in both English and Te Reo, so the consulting editor for Te Reo is Darren Joseph, who works at Massey. Apologies <laughs> for the long pause. Darren Joseph, who works at Massey. And we put out this call and we got over 100 stories through the wow. open call, which was great. And some of the writers I had heard of or I knew because I knew they entered stories into, say, the Pikahuia contest at some point, mm. or I just heard of them. And others I did not know at all. And in fact, one of those writers who I did not know at all, Katie Harrison, who lives in Huntley, I met her at the launch for the first time and I said to her, I'm so glad you sent me that story. I said, it's one of my favourite stories in the anthology. I know I shouldn't have favourites, yeah. but <laughs> I said I was really delighted to get it. I was really delighted to include it and I wouldn't have known about it had she not sent it to me. Mm. So I always encourage writers to answer open calls and get their work out there because otherwise you'll miss out because editors really don't know and I was keen to have as I said a range of voices and a range of styles and and her work her particular story that she included is set in Hamilton and it's from the point of view of a homeless guy who dropped out of university and has ended up with a lot of hospitalizations and living on the streets and it's just a fantastic story and I was really proud to include it. Mm. So we did try to cast the net wide. Now some famous Māori writers are not in there because they don't write short stories. Yes. They write novels or they write essays or they write poetry and they're not short story writers and yeah, that's fine. And, and it is a very particular form of writing. Are you able to speak to that a little bit, I guess, the power or the uniqueness of a short story? Yeah, short story is quite a different beast from a novel and some would say it's a harder form to work with because it's more compressed. It's a much more compressed form and it's, it's very demanding of the writer to create a shapely narrative, mm. often in a very short space. Now, the longest story in Hiwa is about 10,000 words long, which is quite substantial, but we also have flash fiction by Jack Romeo Cottrell, graduate of this university, where he's working with 300 words. Wow. And writing that some amazing... That is an impressive feat. Oh, my goodness. So, and then everything in between. 
So the shorter it is, sometimes the harder it is to write. Mm. And yeah, not all novelists can write stories. Mm. Yeah, very particular skill. Can, can we talk about the name Hewa? What does that mean and, and why have you chosen it to capture the, the words of these 27 writers? I've been obsessed with Hewa for quite a while actually and wanting to use her name in something. She is the ninth star of Matariki and she's the one that we make a wish on, mm. the one we send our desires up to in the sky. Now, traditionally, that was, can we have a good growing harvest? Can we be prosperous? Can our, our, our crops flourish? You know, can it be a good year in that way? But it's also about other deep desires. Mm. And I thought of this as a time of very vigorous growth in the area of Maori writing. We've had a number of Maori writers either emerge or be recognised at Book Awards recently. I mean, this year we had two Maori writers in the... In the novel category, Monty Suter and Michael Bennett. Last year, the novel category at the Ockham New Zealand Book Awards was won by Fiti Hereaka. Before that two years, Becky Manawatu won the, the big fiction prize at the Ockham New Zealand Book Awards. And Becky and Fiti are both in this anthology. So it's a time of what I see as vigorous growth, of mm. prosperity in terms of the richness of art that's available. And so we've been sending our wishes up to Hiwa and they're, they're kind of paying off mm. at the moment, mm. I think. So this is a good period. So it's not, as I say in the introduction, I'm not celebrating a Maori new wave. It's a lot of the names in the anthology have been around for a long time and are still producing fantastic work and some of them are brand new. But we're part of a good season of growth. And so the book is really celebrating the riches that are out there. Yeah, and if someone were to sit down and read the book from start to finish, what essence do you think they would take away from all of the stories? Well, in every anthology there are going to be stories that are to your taste and ones that are not. And in fact, the beginning and ending story are so incredibly different because it's arranged alphabetically. So Shelley Burnfield's story that begins it feels quite traditional in style, a story within a story, someone telling a younger person a story about her own childhood. Mm. And uh, it's a lovely story. It's a very traditional form that many readers will be familiar with. The final story by Nick Twemlow, who lives in the States and is a poet by background, has a completely different form and uses slashes to indicate line breaks rather than a usual sentence form and is much more impressionistic and very stylish in a, in a sort of artfully stylish way. Mm. So they're two extremes of style really in the book and I hope when people do read through they will note the differences yeah. while knowing that some things they'll really like and other things maybe will pass them by some things may be too dark some things may be funny in a weird way because mm. there's obviously everything in there yes and knowing that for others those things that they don't like will be hitting home for someone else yeah which is uh, the beauty of reading an anthology you have also contributed a story mm. um, by the name of isn't it would you like to tell me about that as the one story that we go into in detail while we talk sure and i should say i've edited an anthology before of short stories a penguin book of contemporary new zealand short stories i think ages ago and i didn't put one of mine in because i thought it was the wrong thing to do but then I, I've seen everyone else put themselves in anthologies and I thought, I'm not leaving myself out this time. So there I am. So. Uh, obviously, I did not have to apply. I just chose my story. Um, isn't it as a contemporary take on a Catherine Mansfield story, The Garden Party, mm. but it's set in contemporary Auckland. 
because I think personally that the Garden Party is very much about real estate. It's very much about the rich people living high up, the poor people living low down, yes, and the poor people that got the bad view, the poor people in the street that floods, and obviously that's profoundly relevant to contemporary Auckland. Oh, yes. And also I think I wrote it when I first returned here and I went to the New World in Mount Roskill for the first time and I thought that would be a good location for a story, so New World in Mount Roskill plays its part. And I'm very interested also in the obsession with Auckland, and I understand why, about subdividing property. Mm. But it means that the city that I grew up in is very, very different now. And even the street I grew up in, which had almost no cars parked along it when I was growing up, now has two properties in the space of one, and of course many more cars, and it's really different in nature. So we're kind of cramming in our city. And as you know, it's also ludicrously expensive, yeah. abominably expensive. And so there are, there are extremes in Auckland that I wanted to play with in a satirical way. Mm. The story's also quite rude about Wellington, and I always enjoy uh, putting that into my stories in some ways. So, mm. But it was just hopefully a funny story that's also a reflection of a contemporary city in a way that I think... Mansfield was often doing her work. She was writing about contemporary society. Mm, mm. And so I wanted to write about contemporary society as well, but it's a little bit different. Mm. The The cover of the book is absolutely beautiful. Do you want to speak to that a little bit and then perhaps tell listeners where they can go and get a copy if they'd like to? Sure. All books are a collaboration. They really are. Mm. So even, I mean, obviously with the anthology, I'm collaborating with all these writers, but then there's quite a substantial team at Auckland University Press who's working on it as well. And, and also other people they bring in, other editors they bring in to work with us, a te reo editor, an English language editor, to work on the actual words on the page, you know, make sure everything is right. But then design-wise, they also bring in other people. So there was a, a Maori design agency, and then beyond that, they contract an artist as well mm -hmm. to create the cover, which is a very beautiful blue and, um, and and panels and designs that are used throughout the interior of the book as well. So there's a lot of discussion about it, a lot of thought that goes into it. So when I look at the book, I see uh, a collaborative work of art with many people's hands in it, mm. both visual and in the writing sense. So um, people can buy it at most bookshops, but I will put in a special plea for people to buy it at an independent bookshop. And for that independent bookshop, that reports to Nielsen Bookscan. Okay. So, for example, if you go to, say, Time Out in Mount Eden yes. or the Women's Bookshop on Ponsby Road, any sale there is reported as an official sale and so the book has more chance of being on the chart. Mm. If you buy the book at Whitcalls, which I don't want to disrespect Whitcalls, but they don't report to the chart, so... Yeah. So we could sell a million copies at Whitcalls. And, and we'd have no idea. No, no idea yeah. at all, except yeah. we'd, I'd be rich. <laughs> and it's not it's not a trivial thing. We do have to get the work out there um, and make sure that people are engaging and, and reading it. That was Paula Morris speaking with me about Hiwa, a new collection of Māori short stories uh, for which Paula was the editor. If you have any thoughts on that piece, you can text us in on 5395. As always, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we will be back soon. Do stay tuned. But for now, here is Vera Allen with Lenny Says. You're on BFM. <laughs> I'm 23 and I'm a bloody 
Music quiz time. Is the whole team here? Yeah. Dad rock expert. Yeah. Techno master. Yeah. Hip hop geek. Yeah. Jazz aficionado. Hmm? Where's the jazz aficionado? I said meet at seven. I think their watch is set to a weird time signature. Yeah, seven, eight. Get your team ready for the Tuning Forks Monday Music Quiz, fortnightly on Mondays. Hosted by Brendan Green, free entry and great prizes to be won. The Tuning Forks Monday Music Quiz, this Monday at the Tuning Fork. Sign up at thetuningfork.co.nz. What's a seven-letter word for street fighter? Brawler. Hey, what's happening at Ponsonby Social Club this week? DJs Andy JV and Soul Tree. And tomorrow, Hammond and the Song Cox. Live, followed by DJs Junior and TDK. Same old Ponsonby Social Club, 152 Ponsonby Road. To see a world in a grain of coffee and a heaven in a perfect roast. Hold infinity in the mug in your hand and eternity in every gulp. Atomic Coffee. Each bean is a world of its own, and when they are blended together expertly by the Atomic team, they create a divinely good coffee. Atomic Coffee. Available at the Roastery in Kingsland and three bustling espresso bars in central Auckland. Or get your fix online at atomiccoffee.co.nz. If music is the food of love, then we hope you're hungry, because you've got a ticket to the buffet. Love language. If music is the fuel of love, then vroom vroom baby, it's time to hop on board. Love language. And if music is the language of love, then you better tune in to love language to stay literate. Love language. Spend some quality time with your love language hosts, Misa, Carlotta and Scarlett. 9 to 11pm on the last three Saturdays of every month. Right here on 95BFM. Only positive critiques. Honest. Various artists. Just before the ads, you were tuning into Lenny Says by Vera Ellen off of her brilliant recent album, Ideal Home Noise. Again, you are on various artists. Feel free to text in at 5395 if you want to let us know what your thoughts are. Aotearoa's National Poetry Day is coming up next week on August 25th. Established back in 1997, this is our national celebration of the Aotearoa poetry scene. Seeing performances, workshops and exhibitions take place across Tamaki Makoto and the Motu as a whole. To learn more about what's coming up this year, I had a yarn with organiser Erica Stratton to learn about what to expect. My name's Erica Stratton. I'm a writer, book reviewer and I'm National Poetry Day Coordinator. I've been National Poetry Day Coordinator for four years, which means I started just about as COVID hit. So it's been a bit of a ride, but it's a lot of fun. And I'm a poet who's lived in Tamaki Makoro for 10 years. Awesome. So what is National Poetry Day? It's our national celebration of poetry. It's poetry's day to shine. It's like poetry's party. Um, and we really encourage everyone to come out and enjoy poetry on the day. Reading, listening, sharing, just spreading the love of this form of word that is so powerful and so much fun. So how long has it been running for and has it changed much over the years? 
Uh, it's been running for 26 years. We had the 25-year celebration last year. Uh, it was begun by Booksellers New Zealand after the successful implementation of Poetry Days in the UK and the US. Montana was the initial sponsor. Obviously, a lot of things have changed since then. Now it's administered by the Book Awards Trust, and we have the amazing Phantom Bill Stickers as sponsor. They do fabulous things with poetry's poetry on billboards for the public to enjoy. Uh, probably the major change over the years has mostly been growth. We've got events that have run for the whole time or events that have been running for, say, 20 years, and they're still there and they're still great, but there's just so much more now. It's just a much bigger celebration. What sort of events do you have coming up in Tamaki Makoto for this year? We've got over 20 events happening across Tamaki Makoto. Uh, the best place to look for all of them is the calendar of events on the National Poetry Day website. There's some pretty fantastic stuff happening. We've got our old favourites. So we've got Poetry Central running at the Central Library. We've got All Tomorrow's Poets. We've got Bad Apple running LBGTQIA plus poets reading in art galleries. Um, there's Earth Child, which is songs of poetry as a tribute to Catherine Mansfield because it's her anniversary, her centenary this year. And I think that should be really cool. Uh, there are workshops. Uh, Mount Roskill Library is running a workshop on writing your life, writing your childhood, and then an open mic. Uh, there's Blackout Poetry, if you want to go and play with creating your own poetry at the Open Book Bookshop in Ponsonby. Uh, Visual Verse at the Corbin Estate Arts Centre, Poetry in Art, and oh, so much more. Um, Timanawa Library is doing experience cultures, having poetry read in different languages. I feel like the poetry scene within Aotearoa does kind of tend to fly under the radar a bit. Do you think that it's important to be celebrating the scene, uh, specifically local to New Zealand uh, within this day and kind of like this period of the year? Yeah, I really wish it was more of a thing and didn't fly under the radar. And that's really what we're trying to achieve with National Poetry Day is just to get it all out there and make it a day where we can really celebrate poetry. It's a pretty special thing, poetry. It's not com commercial necessarily. It's pretty inclusive. And it can be observational, it can be a battle cry, it can be healing, it can be private or public. It's words, emotions, thoughts. And we have just so many amazing poets in Aotearoa. And I just feel like it's a real, really important part of our, our cultural consciousness, part of our national identity, so to speak. Are there any particular events that you have uh, coming up this year that you're particularly excited for? <laughs> this, is, this is a hard one. I've mm -hmm. got like over 100 events and I like them all. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about the Urban Walking Festival text message poetry. Um, if you sign up, they'll send you a text message with a poetry prompt or a walking prompt over seven days. And they've got some pretty cool poets, and I think that's going to be really awesome. Uh, the Poet Laureate is running a poetry quiz at the National Library. That's Chris C. He's amazing. Um, and I think that will be really good fun. And there's poetry at the museum in Hamilton, which I also think will be really exciting. And in the South Island, you have a event at Word Christchurch. I think it will be amazing. And also just every event that's out there. There are so many and so many passionate people doing amazing things. I'm sure that there's so many people um, who want to get involved in a local poetry scene but don't really know where to start or kind of like if it's sort of 
get it off? Do you think that these series of events are going to be good for maybe any rangatahi or students who want to get more involved in the local scene but don't know where to start? I hope so. Um, we have the national calendar, which is on our website, and I would suggest that everyone who wants to get involved goes and have a, has a look. The other thing we do is we collect competitions that are celebrating National Poetry Day as well. So it's worth checking on our calendar before National Poetry is about days coming up because if you want to write and enter poetry and competitions, those are all there as well and a good way to get into it. If you want to listen, I mean, that's part of it. We want we have um, online poetry listed in the, in the calendar where you can watch people perform their poetry in a video if you don't think you can make it to an event. But, yeah, I really hope that it, people feel like they can go along and find something where they won't feel threatened or pushed to necessarily join in or until they're ready. That was Erica Stratton from National Poetry Day chatting about the variety of events that are taking place across Tamaki Makoto and the nation as a whole. If you want to see the full list of events, you can go to NZ Book Awards National Poetry Day. You know how to use Google. Uh, this is Shoeless with Journey to Nazareth. We'll be back to hear about Imogen Taylor's show Murmurs. Keep it on the bay.
was Shoeless with Journey to Nazareth. You are on Various Artists. Various Artists with Francis and Liam. So you can go to the opening for more than just the snacks. Murmurs is an opening you can go to this evening at Michael Lett Gallery. It's a solo presentation of new works by Tamaki Makoto-based artist Imogen Taylor. Teasing out the push and pull of abstraction and figuration, Taylor conjures enduring forms as part of a sensual approach to painting. With brightening hues, she investigates intimate relationships with bodies, both human and non-human, as well as communication and what might exceed it. To hear about Murmurs, which is I see it opens this evening. I caught up with Imogen. Here we are now. Can you tell me about the exhibition? What are you showing? So Murmurs is a solo show which consists of 12 paintings which kind of range in scale from about 30 to 40 centimetres by 40 centimetres to um, the bigger ones which there are I think eight of which are like 1.2 by 1.5 and they're all acrylic paintings on a range of surfaces like hessian um, linen cotton and calico and um, they're all suspended from these kind of structures that i made with the help of um, another artist called tim wag and um, because they're in an old church and the church doesn't really have walls and um, it, yeah so uh, when you see the show you'll you'll see what I mean but we've had to it's not a space which is kind of suited to exhibiting paintings so Mm. we had to figure out how to do that can you explain the exhibition title a little further murmurs what what does that pertain to yeah well I've got a funny history um or a funny way of naming works and shows um in the past the titles and the names of shows have always been quite smutty or a little bit cheeky and kind of always alluding to sex or sexuality in a kind of maybe a grotesque way but since the work has kind of started doing that a bit more itself the titles have become a bit more abstracted and a bit more poetic um Murmurs kind of jumped out at me recently when a friend was telling me that her cat Remus had a heart murmur and I was like god it's such a strange word like it it's there's so much slippage in it and it kind of it's a word that can change a lot and in that context um it was kind of like a bit sad uh but I was thinking about there aren't many onomatopoeic words that we still use in, in language and I think murmurs is a word that can kind of be almost back to front and changed around a lot. So it's either like an abstract or like indistinct noise, which is kind of like sounds like something or it's the other way around where it's like it's something that's been said, which then gets abstracted. Like I guess one way of saying murmurs would be like murmurs of discontent or um, people, when they're talking about murmurs, they're often referring to like sounds in nature or droney kind of sounds. So I was looking for um, a way of like, because as a painter, it's like painting is a language in itself, uh, but you're always forced to kind of uh, explain it in an English language. And so I was looking for words that were could be kind of semi-abstracted or... Um, 
be left wide open to for the audience to kind of determine their, on their own, you know, way what what something might mean. Mm. And how do you construct an abstract murmur um, in paint? Do you want to walk me through your process uh, for for producing these paintings? Sure. Um, I have always never predetermined what my paintings are going to look like. Um, so I start from a place of not knowing uh, because I, I want to try and make these images that potentially don't haven't previous, previously existed in the world. So in the past, it was always kind of pure, a more pure form of abstraction where paintings were constructed from a set of um, decisions that were quite, quite arbitrary or impulsive, uh, which then built up an abstract image. Uh, but now the work is probably more figurative. So I've tried to still work in the same way, which is quite... I, uh, process-driven, spontaneous um, way uh, to then end up in a place that I didn't know I was going to end up in. But I will say that I think these works are more like they're images of things that are more recognisable. Like there's there's works that are just, they are things that we can identify. Like there's one of a saddle and one of a horse, um, one of a snake, but they are constructed in a very abstract way, like a way that abstract paintings are usually made. And they, they kind of try and juggle, like sometimes they'll, in some stages of the painting, they'll look like something that's representational and then other times they'll go, they'll return to abstraction. So it's like this kind of wrestling process. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's easy to, when you're a painter, you just start talking about process in this way that, it exists in a vacuum kind of way like mm. and other people are just like what is she talking about <laughs> but in your own head it makes a lot of sense I think as painters we're we're trained to uh, set up these practices that have a lot of rules and parameters uh, and we paint each painting based off a set of rules um, but as you kind of move along because uh, I guess I've been painting now and exhibiting for about 15 years you start dropping the rules or you start questioning them and it becomes a whole like force in itself that you can't control. Was the use of different grounds uh, like the Hessian and um, different canvases to work on, is that a breaking of the rules for you or is that something that you usually um, bring into a body of work? Yeah, that's that's me trying to move the practice along. I guess I'm always quite sceptical of as a painter, you have a brand, and because uh, it's such a market-driven medium, and we rely on selling work so that we can keep making work. Um, I guess I'm always trying to resist, like getting really comfortable in my practice, and people being like, "Ah, yes, that's an image in Taylor. Like, I want. Can you make the same kind of painting?" Um, so I'm always trying to move away from. Whenever I get comfortable, I'll then progress and I think moving away from Hessian it's served me really well as a material and the way that it can talk about New Zealand painting histories in particular but uh, since I've been traveling overseas a lot it really doesn't have the same potency elsewhere that it does here like people will just be like why are you painting on burlap like it doesn't just doesn't resonate so 
I yeah, I think it's just it's like learning a different language in a way by bringing in these other materials. Mm. And I think canvas and they're just a lot more neutral. And so then, when something becomes quite neutral in the in the process, something else has to change. So I've had to learn how to paint in a different way because of using canvas and. Mm. And, and you touched there on New Zealand histories and, and being overseas and those influences perhaps changing. What are you what are you reading or what's influencing this body of work? Uh, I read a whole range of things um, and things outside, a lot of things outside of painting really influence the work. Um, I uh, at the moment, I think in terms of art, I have been reading a lot around the politics of representation when it comes to queer artists in particular. Um, the last couple of shows I've made have been really direct about um, queer formalism or queerness and painting and queer modernisms. And I was at a point where I really needed to do that because I in the past I had been making abstract work as a queer artist and not talking about identity politics but I think as soon as I put identity politics on the table I kind of felt like I was running the risk of um, being kind of uh, like classified or like sexuality kind of becomes a like a caricature and I think around the politics of representation, it's like artists, queer artists have been utilising abstraction for a long time to kind of get away from surveillance or like these quite powerful taxonomies that will then prevent a practice from moving in any other direction. So that's kind of where I'm at. I don't know, that's what I'm reading, but I don't know if the work does that. Like I'm, I'm also like... I'm quite a sceptical person and I'm always wary of like illustrating ideas in my practice so mm-hmm. I didn't, I d- I'm not the kind of painter that has an idea and then goes I think this painting will articulate this idea I will kind of read alongside and paint and just try and trust that ultimately those ideas will come through the work and if they don't then hopefully I'm at the other end to do this kind of thing, talk to the work. Yeah, absolutely, and that, and that degree of scepticism is really helpful. The, the show opens on Friday, which when we air this will be today. What are you hoping people who come to the show to see the work will, will experience? Well, uh, I can't really control that, which I really like, but so far when people have worked uh, walked into the show, they've been like, wow, the work it's really good to see them in person. They look really different. And I think that's been something that's consistent through my practice is because of the materiality of the work. Like they're very, in person, they're very fleshy and textural and they're quite bodily. And I think I would encourage people to not look at the show through screens. So I think what I would want people to feel is like a kind of comfort or warmth from the work. Um, Soothing. I don't know. I think there's something that's really quite moving about looking at a painting show, right? Um, it's almost kind of a mystical experience. So I am actually really open to any way that anyone wants to experience the work. But um, I think when you're in that space as well, because it was a church, it's quite loaded and it's quite heavy. I think the whole thing will come together and the architecture will play into the work a lot. Um, 
and that's something that will change from person to person based on their background. Um, I'm not a religious person and I, I have been like very careful around building this show um, in that space. So I hope that there's a sensitivity around the architecture um, that can allow people to just be with the work and have some kind of sense of, yeah, like <laughs> warmth or like... Murmurs, I was going to say zen, but zen is quite naffe. Like, mm. um, yeah, I don't know. And like phenomenological experience, like mm. outer body kind of like you feel it in your gut and it feels good. That was painter Imogen Taylor speaking with me about her show Murmurs, which opens this evening at Michael Lett Gallery from 5pm. You are on Various Artists. This uh, tune coming up is School Fair uh, with Ferris Wheel. Do stay tuned. We will be back with the Art Guide soon. It is great to have your company. Robert Williams School Fair and everyone's in 
Alter. we are unboxing the new 95BFM limited edition merch. So exciting. It's so cool. It feels so soft. You know they can't see it. This is radio. It's ASMR. They can feel it with their ears. Oh, we should do earmuffs. No. Let's order some. Are we ordering... Are we, are we ordering merch? Let's order undies. I really like having an eye on Are we going to... The merch is already here. I'm not ordering more. If you wanted input, you should have said so two months ago. Hey, if you are doing ASMR, you should really be whispering. The 95 BFM merch store is returning with limited edition merchandise, including B-Rave merch. You have until the 26th of August to get your hands on the tasty new merch. Go to 95BFM.com to browse the store. 95BFM has returned to the rave and popped out the cutest little rave baby the station has ever seen. Say hello to the world, B-Rave. B-Rave, 25th of August at The Mothership. Presented by Lord of the Fries and 95BFM. Featuring the hottest lineup of DJs from six collectives and labels across Aotearoa. Monogamy, Kieran Tahir, Birkenthal, Karu, Hashi DJ, Left Hand Lars. Expect anything and everything from the hardest jungle to the weirdest hyperpop. Be rave at the mothership. Friday, August 25th. Tickets just $15 from under the radar. Shot is Lord of the Fries. Eat like you give a fuck. Hi, I'm Ken. Hi, Ken. It's been six months since I've listened to gin. I'm not gonna lie, I still miss it. The feeling when the primo tunes are pouring out, the smooth grooves, the weird songs that have got flute in them. Hey, what's that in his ear? M my ear? N what? That's a headphone. No, no, no. This no. guy's hooning some gin right now. No, 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 out on us. If this guy's gonna have some gin, I want some too. No, no, you got to Everyone loves a bit of gin, and no one's gonna blame you if you take an earful every Tuesday from one till four. Gin plays all the good notes that go down easy with a lingering vibed out aftertaste. The Tuesday 1 to 4 with Gin, thanks to the same old Ponsonby Social Club. Oh, don't suffer for your art chat. Various Artists with Francis and Liam. It's the 95 BFM Art Guide on Various Artists. It's paintings in that. Right, coming up, Monday, Friday, the 18th of August, tonight in Onehunga. The good people over at Thicker Fortress are running a Matariki pop-up market with all sorts of incredible Māori and Pacifica art, music, zines and more that will be on from 4 to 9pm at 172 Trafalgar Street. Also tonight and tomorrow are the last nights that you can see Losing Face by Nathan Joe at Q Theatre. The playwright from Behind Scenes, From A Yellow Peril, Gay Death, uh, Stock Take and more is back. 
Black, telling the story of an interracial queer relationship and navigating questions about love, race and sexuality. This afternoon, The Full at Empty, featuring artists Francis Wright, Sophia Laurie, Ambrose Omar, Mila Ma- Mihalovic and Tom Lenoel at the George Fraser Gallery on Princess Street has a pre-closing event from 3pm onwards. That show is also open from 1 to 4pm tomorrow. And also opening this evening, who we heard from earlier in the show, is Imogen Taylor's Murmurs at Michael Lett from 5 to 7pm. Tomorrow, Rahroi, Saturday, the 19th of August. Of course, we have the 95 Beer from Record Fair coming Woo! up. Please come. We are selling a portion of our international record collection and giving you an opportunity to take a part of the station's tanga home and to give it a loving new home. It's hot out here for an indie record station like the Bee, so come along and grabbing coming along and grabbing a few records means that you'll be supporting us for years to come. That will be on from 10 till 4 p.m. tomorrow at the 905 BFM offices above the UOA quad. And by the way, if you're feeling antsy about the sale of such an important part of the Bee, you can donate to our give a little page and help us hold on to as many records as we can. Also on Saturday, Daddy's Day is on. There will be a runway show, art exhibitions, comedy, markets, fashion and some fantastic local DJs to finish it off. Tickets are available from Eventbrite. Even more from Saturday, the good people over at Tatohi have six new exhibitions opening up across their various gallery spaces. I had a yarn with them on last week's show, so you can listen back to that if you want to learn more. But the opening will be taking place tomorrow at Tatohi from 4 till 6pm. Also on Saturday and a bit of Sunday as well. The 24-hour zine-making challenger is on at the Central City Library, organised as part of the ongoing Auckland Zine Fest. That'll start at 3pm on Saturday and finish at 3 on Sunday, 24 hours. And Ratapu Sunday, the 20th of August, the Altered Ego Market is taking place from 7 till 9pm at Nice Goblins on Dominion Road. There'll be all sorts from fashion, jewellery and art, all circulated around allowing you to arrive as an altered ego and be your most authentic self. I had a yarn with the event organizers Cabby and Shinta from the show a few weeks back, so fuckering on my name if you want to learn more about that. If you have an event, exhibition or anything else you want to get on the art guide or on various artists more generally, do get in touch with us. We are um, on emails at arts at 95bfm.com. That was the 95BFM art guide. Before we close out the show, we have one more track. This is Seagulls by the Unicorns.
Business Artists with Francis and Liam. Koera te hōtaka katoa mō tēnei wiki. Nei te mihi ki a koutou katoa e kōrero mai ki o mō tēnei rā. That's all for us on Various Artists for today and for another week of the show. Cheers to everyone who chatted to us today. A big mihi to Paula Morris and to Imogen Taylor. And on my end, Erica Stratton from National Poetry Day. Nei rā hoki te mihi ki a koutou e whakarongo ana. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to have your company on the show. Remember, you can listen back to all those chats and more at 95B. We'll be having a bit of a switch up over the next few weeks as I'll be down in Otatahi next week and you're taking a little break from the 1st to the 8th. So we'll be handing it back and we might have some special guests in. We will see. Kahoki mai matoa atara wiki. Next up is Land of Good Groove. You're listening to 95BFM. was a 95BFM podcast. Support 95BFM with a B-card. Go to 95BFM.com slash sign up.